0: Let's all just breathe Famous last words Famous last words You see, last words are an interesting thing I think I think they can give us a little screenshot Into someone's life They can mean maybe nothing at all Or they can at least show us what What they were reflecting on At the end of their life So, here are some last words that I think that you're going to enjoy. Writer T.S. Eliot was only able to whisper one word as he died. Valerie, the name of his wife. Convicted murderer Thomas J. Grasso used his last words to complain about his last meal. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. (laughs) Sir Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. Drummer Buddy Rich died after surgery in 1987, and as he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, Is there anything you can't take? So Rich replied, Yeah, country music. (laughs) And then William Henry Seward, architect of the Alaska Purchase, was asked if he had any final words, and he replied, Nothing. Only love one another. You see, the last words that I get to speak with you today about are the words of Joseph. Um, You see, the last words that we have from Joseph in the Bible are words he spoke to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And then later he said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. Last words are interesting. Last words can reveal a person's heart. Now, before we go on to discuss uh, Joseph's last words any further, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about something a little bit more personal. You see, when I was a kid, I wanted to play baseball really badly. Some of you probably are like, yeah, so did I. You were a normal young kid. You wanted to play baseball. Okay, cool. Well, here's the thing about me trying to play baseball when when I was a kid. Is I always had to go play catch by myself outside. There was no one else to play with. So what I would do is I would just walk outside, I'd have my glove on, and I would just, like, chuck the ball up in the air, and I'd run around, and I'd try to catch it, and, like, that's what I did to, like, entertain myself, or sometimes I'd try to throw it at a tree, hopefully it would bounce back, I just didn't have anybody to play catch with, I know, I was a lame kid, um, But here's the thing. Every once in a while, my mom actually would come outside and she would play catch with me. Now, I only had two gloves. One was a regular glove, which obviously I used. And then my mom had a catcher's mitt. Now, if you understand anything, a catcher's mitt is not like the perfect glove to play catch with out in the backyard. Especially if my mom is the one trying to catch it on the other end. And so, and I was in like third grade or so. And I didn't care. I was just chucking the ball right at her. And sometimes like she'd take shots like boom. And like that just happened. I, I didn't care. I was just chucking the ball. But like every once in a while she'd get the glove on it, she'd make a nice catch. And here's the thing about it, you're laughing, you're like, why like okay, that's a random story to tell. And here's the thing. She did well, but that's not how things normally are supposed to go. I feel like that's not the picture that we normally imagine when a kid goes outside and when a kid goes outside and plays catch. Normally you'd picture a little boy and his dad. My dad was supposed to be the one out there playing catch with me. My dad was the one who was supposed to teach me how to throw a ball. He was supposed to be there, uh, but he wasn't. That's not how life should have gone for me, but it was. Kids shouldn't have to grow up in single-parent homes, but they do. Little boys and little girls shouldn't be abandoned by their fathers, But they are. Joseph shouldn't have had to go through all of what he went through, but he did. So, for those of you who need to know about what Joseph went through, uh, it's in Genesis 37 Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but like brothers are not supposed to sell you into slavery. That's not a thing that brothers are supposed to do. But he had made his brothers so angry that they got to the point where they're thinking about killing him. And then one of them convinced the others, "Hey, let's just sell him into slavery. That'll be better." Like that's not a good outcome for Joseph in his life. No. And then like it just keeps getting worse. In Genesis thirty-nine, Joseph was wrongfully accused of raping Potiphar's wife, and then was thrown into prison. And he. He tried to be good. He tried to like deny her coming at him, but still he was wrongfully accused and thrown into prison. And he was there for quite a while because in Genesis 40, also just to make matters worse, he had an opportunity to get released from prison. But the cupbearer who he interpreted his dream, that cupbearer forgot him. And so he spent two more years in prison. So let's just talk about all of the things that Joseph had to deal with. You see, Joseph went through a lot in his life. He went through a lot of stuff that he should not have had to go through. People shouldn't be sold into slavery by their family. People shouldn't be wrongfully accused of crimes. People should not be forgotten. The unfortunate truth is that these things Sin brought despair, and because of that, things that shouldn't happen in this world do happen. I remember uh, I was at CIY after I graduated high school. And uh, now, uh, the theme of that week that I was at was the life of Joseph, actually. And... It's, I think it's funny to bring this up. Like the, the story of Joseph has played such a crucial role in my life. When I just think about uh, big moments in my life, it always seems to be centered around this story that is Joseph. And in this big moment of my life, I'm at this final CIY. I didn't really want to be there. And I'm at it. And uh, Rachel Grendel uh, got up to speak. Just a, a lady I didn't even know. And she gets up to speak. And she's speaking on being in a pit. Like Joseph was thrown into the pit by his brothers. She was given that text to preach on. And she just simply talked about what it's like to be in a pit. And she talked about how she was in a pit in our life. And she pleaded to us that some of us might be in pits right now. Some of us might be dealing with stuff, going through stuff that we shouldn't have to go through. And I was. I was dealing with a lot of stuff. I was doing things i shouldn't be doing i wasn't re- i wasn't dealing well with the fact that i didn't grow up without a dad I-, I just wasn't doing well i was in a pit and so that message sparked me into going down and uh the, the little response that they had for that week was there was a bell. And so what you'd do is you'd go up and ring the bell. And you've all seen it. You've all probably seen kids. I was the kid that's going down, that's weeping, that people are consoling. Like, that was me. And I just, I mean, I couldn't hold it together. And I go down and I ring that bell and everybody applauds. And you know how that stuff goes. Like, that was the kid that I was that evening. And I'm thankful for it. Because eventually that decision sparked me into coming here and going to Ozark. And it sparked me into really thinking about and dealing with things that have gone on in my life. And I'm so thankful for this place, and I'm so thankful for that. And you see, one of the big truths that I learned that week was that it is not if you will be in a pit in your life, but rather when, and then how will you respond? How will you respond? Now here's the thing. Joseph learned something in his experiences after being abandoned by his brothers, after being wrongfully accused, after being forgotten. You see, the truth that Joseph learned over the course of his life is that God works for the good of His people. God works for the good of His people. You see, after Joseph was sold into slavery, Scripture says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he ended up being in charge of Potiphar's household. Then, when Joseph was wrongfully imprisoned, Scripture says, "...the Lord was with Joseph still." And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Then when Joseph was forgotten, Pharaoh had a dream that needed interpreting. And the cupbearer, granted after two years, but he did finally remember Joseph. And Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And then with the help of God, he did this, and he was made Pharaoh's right-hand man. Joseph would lead the people through abundance, and then he would lead the people through famine. You see, even though Joseph went through so many painful moments, God was always there. He was always right there with him. God worked through the hardships that came Joseph's way and led him to where he needed him to be. Joseph was put in the position to save the people of God. He brought God's people into Egypt and made sure that they were taken care of, including his brothers that sold him into slavery. Joseph was able to do this because he knew something his brothers didn't. If you want to, you can turn to Genesis 50. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 21. You see, Joseph took care of his family, but his brothers were afraid they were being taken care of just because of their father. just Just because they shared the same father. And Genesis 50, 15 through 21 says, "...when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead..." They said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph knew that despite his brother's intentions, God was able to redeem his situation. Trimper Longman III says Joseph was not exonerating his brother's wrongdoing, but he was also aware of God's overruling their evil actions and using them for good. God defeats evil, He overrules it. In fact, His plans always redeem whatever evil throws our way. It's God. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God moves in the lives of those who love him. God is our redeemer. God works for the good of his people. I don't think it should be everything happens for a reason, honestly. In fact, I get tired of that. Like, no, it's not everything should happen for a reason. But rather, everything can be redeemed by God. Everything can be redeemed by God. And the greatest redemption of evil that we can see is in the cross. Acts two twenty two through 24 says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. This is Peter speaking. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, Peter explains that on the cross what the Jewish people intended for evil, God intended it for good. God's redemption is clearly seen in the cross. And here's the funny thing. Joseph didn't even have the cross to look at to understand redemption. No. We do, though. We know that Jesus came to redeem lost and broken people. Jesus came to redeem you. And Jesus came to redeem me. You see, I see, re- I see God's redemption in my own life. I can see that God has worked things for my good. Now, it was hard and it took time, don't get me wrong. You see, growing up abandoned by my father was intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish me dedicating my life to ministry, to show people that their Heavenly Father will never abandon them. It took me a long time to figure this out, though. I played the blame game. I withheld forgiveness. I scoffed at verses like Genesis fifty twenty and Romans eight twenty eight. But they're true. You see, I understand that some of you may be working through your own pit right now. You see, some of you are going through things that shouldn't have happened to you. They shouldn't have happened to you, but because sin brought despair in this world, they did. Some of you might even be going through things that you brought on yourself. And you're thinking, how can I deal with this shame? How can I deal with this guilt? God is our redeemer. Some of you might be trying to figure out what good God is going to accomplish from the evil you have experienced or from the evil that you've brought on yourself. And it might be hard to take my word for it. It might be hard for me to just convey to you, listen, God is your redeemer. He's going to work through your situation. And for those of you that it might be hard to take my word for it, I have others that want to come up and talk about their experiences. So I'm going to ask them to come down right now. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear from others how God has redeemed their life, how God has worked through their lives. Suffering multiple miscarriages was intended to threaten our marriage and weaken our faith. But God intended it for good. By showing us the power of his redemption story and by better equipping us to counsel others who have experienced the same kind of loss and pain. I grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic, and later on in life, I went down that same path and I spent a lot of time in jail. And now, today, I'm four years sober, and God intervened and He changed my life. A serious head injury and a brain tumor were intended to hurt me, but God used it for good, and he used it to send me to Ozark. A life of abuse that I was powerless to was intended to harm me, Um, but God, God used it for good to accomplish my trust in his fatherhood and acceptance into his family. The loss of my father was intended to harm me. But God intended it for good so I can minister to those who have lost the Father and point them to their Heavenly Father. I was a full-fledged drug addict for 12 years. And looking back, Satan tried to take me out several times. I'm a miracle to be alive. But what God has done is, I went to Jesus Rehab, I'm a senior at OCC, and God has allowed me to be able to share my story with so many other people. Being a victim of sexual abuse through middle school was intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish the start of healing for anyone who may hear my story and realize that through the power of Jesus, they too can move from shame and darkness to joy and light. Joseph said in his final words, God will surely come to your aid. I think he said this because he lived this. God comes to the aid of those who love him. God works for the good of his people. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, holy, and perfect. I pray that we would remember this about you. I pray that we would trust you. Lord, life gets difficult. Evil is in our midst. But I pray that we would remember that you work for the good of your people. You do this even when we have a hard time seeing it. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.